We are a group of friends bound by our appreciation for liberty and good podcasting. Free-minded thinkers from all walks of life, our values come together with one accord to discuss the common culture and news of the day, along with whatever random crap is going on in our lives. Welcome to the Union of the Unknowns. Welcome to another episode of Union of the Unknowns, where we have an amazing guest today and um, our cast. So we have Terry from the Canary Islands. We have Ashley, Think, Change, Repeat. Um, And then we have our amazing guest um, from our favorite expat show, uh, Mikkel Thorup. Welcome, Mikkel. Thank you very much for having me. I'm I'm excited for today's conversation. Should should be a lot of fun and hopefully uh, inspire and uh, maybe even educate a few of your listeners. And uh, yeah, it should be a really good conversation. Thanks so much that's, for having me. That's awesome. Why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about your background and how you sure. got to where you are? Of course. For my backstory or background, I have to go quite far back in time, but I, I will try to make it as concise as possible. But um, what happened was uh, when I was a child, I was diagnosed with a learning disability. And one day the teacher pulled me out of class and sat me down in a little room and the principal and vice principal and a resource teacher were there and they sat me down and they said, Mikkel, something doesn't work quite right in your brain. And what we want to do is send you to a special school, special school for special boys. So that's what they did. Every day for three years, I got on a little white bus and I took a little white bus across town and I went to this quote unquote special school. Now, the only problem was it was actually not a special school. It was a regular school with a special class. And you can probably imagine what happened. I got in a lot of fights and I got picked on and I got bullied and it was all around a pretty crummy experience. Now, this is no woe is me, poor Mikkel, victim, victim type of story. Absolutely not. I hate that type of thinking. And to be honest with you, when I got hit, I hit back and I, if possible, I hit back twice as hard. Like I would never claim otherwise. But um, after three years of going to this quote unquote special school, I got to go back to my neighborhood school. And I thought, oh my God, my friends will have missed me and they're going to be so excited to see me and everyone's going to be so, you know, curious where I've been and all these things. And then you can probably imagine what happened. And everybody started gossiping and, and whispering and, you know, oh, I remember Mikkel. He went to some retard school. Thanks, guys. Very, very sensitive. You know how kids are, you know, yeah. really, really amazing. Yeah. But um, it left a very bad taste in my mouth for education, for public education. So I stopped going. And when I stopped going, I would fail all my classes. And then they'd push me into summer school and then I would fail that. Well, uh, long story short, I stopped going to school when I was 12 years old and I officially dropped out when I was 15 and, uh, and I started traveling internationally, not shortly after that. And when I started traveling, I started meeting all these incredible people around the world who were living their lives so different than I had ever seen in Southwestern Ontario. I'm, I'm from Canada. Um, and I started meeting all these people and they were learning things differently and they saw the world differently and they just thought differently. And I thought, wow, these are my people. This is, these are my peeps, you know? And I decided to, um, to dedicate my life to, to traveling and exploring the world. And that's what I've done for the last 23 years straight. I have been traveling the world pretty much nonstop 
Uh, I've lived in nine different countries. I've visited 110 different countries and I've circumnavigated the globe over 400 times. And what I've done is during this 23 years of exploring and figuring things out, I have been able to unlock a lot of secrets and special ways of working through different governments and residencies and citizenships and tax strategies and all of these things to have a lot freer life. And this is what I do for a living. I, I run a, a company called Expat Money. It's at expatmoney.com. And I help people move overseas for more freedom and autonomy and privacy. We get rid of their tax bill and we just transform their entire lives. And it's uh, incredible. Like I just, I love the work so much and, uh, and I feel very blessed to be doing it and to be helping through these people. So I know I um, went very fast through uh, a very long period of time and we can kind of go in any direction you like, but that's just a little bit about me and, and kind of my backstory. Okay. That's awesome. Now knowing like how after, um, post the vid and all that stuff with how things have changed and where like the United States or Canada, these two alleged power countries, um, have gone, uh, how happy are you now that you were able to make those changes and leave, uh, Canada? Yeah, it's interesting because when I first left school and when I left Canada in general, I really felt like I was leaving an abusive relationship. Like I, I feel like that a lot of people have this Stockholm syndrome with their government and they have this, this, I don't know, it, it really is an abusive relationship and definitely public education is this way. Um, so, you know, looking back now, I can say, you know, I, I think this is the roots of where libertarianism came to me, you know, even before I knew what the word was or understood any of these types of things, I knew that the situation was wrong and I knew I had to leave. Now it's been so many years. Yes, of course, I'm glad that I left. I mean, but at that point, could I see what was happening today in the world? Of course not. I mean, that would be, um, crazy. Like who would have thought even four years ago, we would be going through these types of stuff. It's like a bad movie. Like it's a bad dystopian movie, which is being played out in real life here. Um, so yes, I'm, I do feel like I'm very fortunate to be living overseas and that I have this much experience. So for all of the people mm. who I help, it's not like, oh, this is a good idea. Let's get into something like this. Like I've seen people popping up who like want to try to help or, or consult or try to style themselves as an expert on something. And it's like, how long have you been doing it? How long have you been working in the offshore markets? Two years, like Jesus Christ, two years <laughs> is nothing. Like there is so much to this. I've been doing it for over 20 years and I'm still learning things every single day. So, you know, the, the amount of experience and, and real life boots on the ground, um, work that I've done through all of these things definitely have set me up to uh, help a lot of people right now. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, speaking of that, Justin wanted to know how many people you were able to help flee Canada when they had the mandates. And um, he wanted to know if uh, there was something about flying people out private as that was the only way you could, um, the un unjabbed could leave <laughs> yeah it was so. kind of an underground railroad type of situation during that period you know i have 
a lot of very freedom-minded individuals who are my clients. So we, you know, it, it's interesting. Canadians used to be about 5% of my business. Then they became 50% of my business. And now they're wow. about 70% of my business. Wow. So there's some really scary wow. things going on in Canada right now, um, which I just, I'm still shocked every day by it. I don't, uh, I don't spend all day doom scrolling or looking at these types of things. You know, all my work is very much focused just on solutions. That's all I want to do is just find solutions to all of these types of things. But uh, yeah, we had to help a lot of Canadians leading up to that during that period. And certainly after that period, um, I think we just onboarding three private clients this week and two are Canadian and one is American. So, oh, wow. That's exciting. Ashley Terry. Yes, I yeah. did have some um, questions. Do you want to go first, oh, Ashley? And I'll, I'll yep. let you come in afterwards. Yep. No, sorry, you go first. You go first and I'll come in after. Okay, I just wanted to ask, so what was that like for you as a child, really getting involved in a totally different lifestyle? And, and you must have had the support of a parent, I would think, to help you to, to navigate these travels, to go with you. Did you have a parent traveling? And um, I was just curious about that. And hopefully they were supportive of your decision to leave school. It's very unconventional. So it's interesting. When I left school, you know, at the very beginning, it wasn't like, okay, I'm leaving school. We're going to have a family meeting and I'm done. It wasn't that at all. What it was, was I just stopped showing up. You know, I would pretend to go to school or, you know, I would leave for school and then my dad would go off to work. And then when his truck was gone, then I would sneak back home and, and hang out all day. And then I pretend and I did anything and everything to not go through this. As I said, it was an abusive situation. Mm -hmm. Like it was really horrendous. Mm -hmm. So I did not, you know, they didn't really know what was going on at first. They certainly found out at the end of the school year and you look at the right. grades and the attendance is like 0%, you know, kind of thing. But uh, I can't say that they were exactly supportive of me leaving school at this age. Now you have to think that this is a long time ago that this happened. I just turned 40. So, you know, this was close to 30 years ago that this, mm -hmm. um, that this transpired. Now, as for traveling, traveling was slightly different. So my father had backpacked a lot when he was, you know, 23, 25, 26, something like that. I can't remember exactly. But he had told me as I was growing up that traveling was the greatest thing he ever did with his life. And so I always thought, you know, all right, if this traveling was the greatest thing you ever did with your life, why did you do one big trip and then nothing else? Like, why did you go home and get married and have kids and a normal nine to five job? Like, I didn't understand. But I, um, I did my first trip and I did uh, Ireland, England and Wales for a month. And I realized he was right. Travel is the greatest thing you can do with your life. It's, it's unbelievable. There's no other experience like it. It really teaches you patience and personal responsibility. You get to explore and learn new things. You get to try to see the world through someone else's perspective, through their eyes, try to understand the history and the culture and the food and why they do different things. And, and it just scratched an itch that I've just, I've never gotten bored of it. Like I was just having lunch with my, with my wife and my kids and stuff like that. We're planning a big four month trip, three month trip through 
Eastern Europe this summer. And I'm as excited to do that as I was on my very first trip. So I would say that to, to kind of go back to your original question, the schooling stuff, not so supportive. The travel stuff, yes, supportive. But they kind of expected, I think, that you know, I would do one or two trips, get it out of my system, and then come back to southwestern Ontario. And I just never did. I just, I still got it in my system and, and I built my whole life on it and my business. And um, as, as I just mentioned, you know, I'm married. So um, I'm Canadian with Danish heritage. My wife, uh, I met her in Germany. We got married in Africa. She's from mainland China. Our daughter was born in the Middle East. Our son was born in Brazil. I mean, we live in Panama right now. Like, so everything is international. So I've never had to you know, get over this or get this out of my system or any of those types of things. Awesome. And I did have one more question and then um, we'll move on to Terry. But the other thing that I wanted to ask you about is escaping globalism, right? Because in today's day and time, it seems like even if you are able to if you want to make that lifestyle happen, that there is still this looming global cabal that's running the show in a lot of places. And it also seems like in some places where maybe they don't have it completely infiltrated, that if the leadership of that country were to stand up against the narrative, then then something is going to happen to them. They're going to have an accident. And the next thing you know, oh, wow, we're we're totally on board with, you know, the globalization or new world order, or whatever you want to call it. Um, and that has been something that I have thought because I've really admired the fact that people like you, uh, the nomad capitalists are doing this kind of lifestyle. But that is one thing that I have mulled over, especially during lockdowns. Like, but what about, you know, the global takeover is, is how it feels. Okay, so this is a good question, and we can tackle this from a couple of different angles, and I'm going to try to give you a couple of perspectives to think on. All right, first and foremost, um, I mean, there's dark stuff happening in the world. Absolutely, without question, there are some sociopaths who have seized power, and there's some dark stuff going on. Now, we can spend what time we have on Earth worrying about it, reading about it, trying to you know, understand every aspect of it. And I think that it is important to, uh, to at least understand what's going on, to have your eyes open. But at some point, you can't just be reading and researching about these things. You really have to do something, you know? Now, you can think about it in different ways. You can do activism and try to fight back about it, fight back against it. Okay, that's a possibility. My approach is very different. My approach is I am a husband, I am a father, I am a business owner, and I have responsibility. I have, I have committed to people in my lives, and these people are the most important to me. So what I am doing is trying to protect my own family and my clients. And I think that by protecting ourselves and taking care of ourselves and our own personal responsibility, that is my small part in the piece of the puzzle. I can't solve all the world's problems. I can't fight against these globalists or deep state or new world order or whatever, as you said, to call. It's just not within my realm. But what I can do is I can help, so I can help pull out certain families who want to make a change in their life and make a real difference in their life. And 
what I am doing, what I have seen works the best is get them out of these highly developed countries, highly uh, surveillance state type of countries where you have CCTV and social credit score coming everywhere, where you have a militarization of the police, where they can track anything and everything and there's false flag activities going on to set you up so they can take away from you, where they're going to collapse the banks, they're going to do all of these types of things. I want to get people out of these types of situations. And what we have seen is if we move them down to a country, which is a so-called developing country, you know, even if they want to implement this stuff, I just don't see it happening. Just not on the same level. Like I had one of my private clients go to me, you know, well, they're doing this in Panama. How can you recommend Panama? I'm like, listen, I'm a celiac. They can't get my gluten-free food right at a restaurant. And you think that they're going to take over the whole country and all this stuff? Like, they can't even get the small stuff, like, let alone all this, you know, mastermind, evil genius type of things. <laughs> so I'm like, I'll, I'll come down here to Central America, to Latin America, where I, I describe the governments here as impotent. And I think this is a really good word to describe them because they just... They just can't get it straight. They can't get it up and they can't, they can't do anything with it to you. Right. And so that's why I really think that being in this part of the world, these countries that don't have surveillance cameras on every single street corner, where they don't have tanks for police vehicles, where they don't have all of this stuff that they can use against you and that you're not feeding into a tax system where they're taking those tax dollars and using it against you. Imagine going to mm. war with someone and now you're funding the other mm. side of the war. That is what's happening in many countries around the world. And it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's insane. People need to give their heads a shake. You need to think about this. You're contributing to things if you're going through this. So there are legal ways, legal, compliant ways that you cannot pay taxes. And most of them revolve around you leaving the country and going somewhere else. And so that is my very small niche, very, very small niche that I work in and how I help people. So I don't know if that answered your question, but that's definitely my way of thinking about things. A hundred percent. It answered my question because I, I think at least what I get from that as a summary is going to places that do not have very powerful central centralized federal governments at this time. And then at least you're giving yourself and your family a chance. And the more that you do and immerse yourself in this type of activity, then if you need to leave again, you've been through it already. So you have from a lot of different ways, you're already putting yourself in a beneficial position. So that, that really does help because sometimes it does feel in just looking at this, like, what are we going to do? You know? So I appreciate that. Thank you. Of course, of course, because it's, it's kind of hard to describe, but I mean, when you live in North America and you're getting bombarded by media and people who don't agree with you and Hollywood and celebrities and all of these people from authority type of standings, and they're all towing the line on these really ridiculous things. Like, I, I can't imagine that they don't realize how ridiculous it is, but for some reason they're doing it. Um, you can get really down on yourself. You know, I think that it can be very depressing and it can be very stressful and a lot of anxiety. But I can tell you when you live in certain enclaves that actually have freedom, we're not discussing this stuff all day long. You know, mm -hmm. I'm out playing with my kids. We're barbecuing. You know, I'm drinking gluten-free beer and nice red wine. And 
exercising and getting sunshine, traveling. Like I'm enjoying my life. My kids are enjoying their life. My, my wife, my mother who lives down here with me, we're all enjoying our lives. You know, we're not spending all of our time thinking about these types of things. You know, as I said, I focus on the solutions. I bring people down and just the, the stress, the anxiety, the worry, it all disappears very, very quickly. And you can just kind of see, you know, their shoulders kind of drop uh, week after week after week. And then they're just like, manana, manana, everything's okay. Because actually like as much as you or anyone else on planet earth can convince me, we have one life to live. That's mm -hmm. it. We got one shot at this type of stuff. So we might as well make the most out of it and do what we can to, to enjoy ourselves. And, you know, that's, uh, yeah, that's my way of thinking about it. Yeah. I love that. And it's something that I have struggled with as far as my purpose here, because you do see this, um, very much of a hustle culture, this like very high stress culture here. And I can't help, but wonder like, why don't I fit in with that? What, but it doesn't feel normal to me. It doesn't feel like how life was meant to be before we're here, but it's very difficult to have been born. I'm in the same age as you to see like, but that's all that we've ever known, but you know, here and here that it has not always been that way. And there has to be more to it than just grinding it out, earning to make someone else very rich and just like getting by and like, oh no, you must do the things to do the things to pay the things. So you do the thing. I mean, yeah, it's really, um, it, it is a stressful place to live and a stressful message of like just grinding away for someone else. You know, it's, it's. Well, I can tell you down in Latin America, first and foremost is family. It always comes down to family, family before anything else, family before your job, family before the country, the state, the government, family before anything and everything. And I really resonate with that. You know, I, I am very, uh, very much aligned with that. So I like being in a society which puts family first. Um, as I said, I have two kids. I homeschool my children. My wife is a stay-at-home mom. Uh, we have domestic help. We have two nannies and a cleaning lady who work for us. My mother lives with us full-time to help take care of the kids. So my kids have multiple generations. My mother's parents are with us right now from China in Panama with us for a couple of months. So there's a lot of you know, family type of things. And that's more what we think about, you know? Mm -hmm. And then when you add into the fact that there's no taxes down here, if you do it correctly, correctly slash legally, um, you know, and that's what I help people with at expatmoney.com. Uh, the standard of living is, you know, just as high, but the cost of living is probably <laughs> twice. Uh, cost of living is probably half and the standard of living is just as high. And then you're eating organic fruits and vegetables every day, fresh fish from the ocean that was caught like two hours before. Um, and you get vitamin D and sun every day. And we go to the beach on the weekends. We just bought a beach house. Like, I mean, this is what life is supposed to be. You know, it's yes. not supposed to be like it was back home. They've lost yes. their way. I mean. Agreed. A hundred percent. I love that. Harry. Uh, yeah, I, uh, thanks. I've got a couple of comments uh, on what you said and a, and a question or two. Um, uh, first of all, I want to say the culture here is very much like you're describing. It's very family oriented. And we're sort of uh, kind of out in the sticks, really, compared to mainland Spain. 
So, um, you know, we, we sort of get more or less forgotten about um, and people are much more interested in growing their own food in a garden and just, you know, getting on with their lives and, and having friends and family. Uh, the last question they ask you is what your job is or what you used to do. They're not really interested in that at all. They ask you about your family and your friends. And uh, uh, I wanted to comment as well about you saying that, um, you know, that you, you felt the government there was too incompetent to bring in all these rules. I, I say that even about big Western governments. I just don't think they're good enough to bring in the technocracy they want. I think, you know, the, the technology is not quite there and, and they're not clever enough to do it really. But um, so I'll get to my question. I wanted to ask you, um, I don't know what it was like in Panama during COVID. It was absolutely terrible in Spain and it was pretty terrible in the UK as well. And uh, when my wife and I were living through it, we were sort of thinking, can't stand much more of this. And what happens if they do it again? You know, it was a, it was a really big thing for us. So we did talk about where could you go to avoid that sort of thing? So uh, that was going to be my first question. If you've looked into that sort of thing. Oh, of course. So when COVID, when the thick of COVID went on, we looked around the world and went, all right, what's the most open and free country in the world? And there was a couple that really stood out. All right. Sweden didn't have a lot of lockdowns, but it's not exactly a bastion of freedom, at least from the taxation side. So that was definitely out. Then we looked between Mexico and Brazil, and both had a lot going for it. We ended up choosing Brazil, and we went and lived down in Brazil during the majority of COVID. And as I said, um, we, my wife gave birth in Brazil to our second child down there while we were living there. So we did what's called birth tourism. When she was a couple months pregnant, we flew down to Brazil, entered the country legally, and then used private hospital, paid everything out of pocket. I don't believe in any socialized medicine or, or want to participate in anything like that. So paid everything cash. I gave birth there. My son was automatically a Brazilian citizen. Uh, because I'm the legal guardian of a Brazilian citizen, I get to apply for what's called the family reunification visa, which is basically a permanent residency and a fast track to citizenship. But when we were living there, it was like COVID didn't exist. Like not at all. I was in the South of Brazil on a little island right. called Florianopolis and it was gorgeous. And it was just like, we're going for walks on the beach every day and just reconnecting with my wife and, um, yeah, I wasn't going to stand by and, and deal with any lockdowns or to people telling me what to do because of some horseshit visa uh, virus, which I, I don't know. I just, I wasn't going to put up with that kind of stuff. Yes. So. Uh, can I, uh, can I give you a supplementary, which was the other one I was thinking of, which sort of connected to what you were talking about. I would imagine that was under Bolsonaro and I think things might well be different under the new guy. But I was going to talk to you about stability because, you know, quite often when you go to a country that looks very nice, um, some Western governments might get involved and change the regime into something that's not quite so nice. And, uh, you know, obviously the smaller the country, the more problematic it is, particularly some of those Central American and South American countries. So um, I don't know mm -hmm. what your, your view is on that sort of thing. So interesting enough, I had John Perkins again on my show this week. Uh, he's been on several times on my program. And it's uh, if you guys don't know who he is, he wrote Confessions of an Economic Hitman, where he would go in and get these oh, yeah, giant yeah. loans from the World Bank. Love to, that book. To find us. Yeah, fantastic. Well, he's right, just released yeah, a book. third edition of it. Um, so I had him back on the program to discuss it. Now, as for your question specifically about Brazil, yes, Bolsonaro is out. 
Lula is in. Lula is an ex-convict. He got caught for corruption, then was cleared, and now he's won the presidential election and he's back in. I mean, I'm not going to get into the conspiracy theory piece of this. There are a lot of people say, you know, some foul play at, at hand, but I, I'm not going to comment on that. What I will comment on is that from my understanding of Lula, first of all, he's a very old man. Uh, mm. Second of all, he's a cancer survivor. Third, he's a heavy smoker and drinker. And fourth, the rumor is he has cancer again. So chances are he's not going to make it through the entire term. And from what I understand, I, I have many Brazilian friends. I have full-time Brazilian staff who work for me. I have Brazilian lawyers who work for me. They said that the uh, vice president is a lot more center, a lot as crazy or leftist or Marxist uh, as, as some of the other people uh, in Latin America. Um, but it seems like Lula, his main goal and objective was to get the presidency back, uh, clear his name, and that's it. Like, he just wants mm -hmm. to be remembered in history books that he came back and he won again, and that's enough for him. He's not looking at making huge sweeping changes in the country or implementing all this stuff. He's too old. He doesn't care. And when he goes, we'll probably go back to normal. And if you look at the de-dollarization around the world, and you look at the BRICS countries that are coming up, and now BRICS Plus coming up, and all of these things being transacted in other currencies outside of US dollars, and Brazil being an absolute powerhouse, powerhouse when it comes to commodities and what they control. I just don't think that the US and these other countries, the US has got enough on their plate. They don't need to start pushing Brazil around on what to do and how to do these types of things. And if China and India and Saudi Arabia make them better deals, they're going to go with them. And if we see a new reserve currency, as long as it's not a CBDC, it's going to be a commodity-backed currency, and Brazil will be an absolute superpower. So I very much am bullish on Brazil in general terms, you know, on the, on the macro type of thing. On the micro, yeah, there is a few little worries that we need to deal with, but as I said, like we have lived in Brazil. I have staff in Brazil. I own a couple of houses in Brazil now. We've got stuff in Brazil. We've got a full landing pad there. Um, yeah, I think Brazil is an excellent place to have as a contrarian play to what's going on in the world. Thank you. That's amazing. That's awesome. Um, <clears throat> Justin, uh, so I just wanted to ask a couple questions. Have you ever done a show or are you able to do a show around um, like birthright through citizenship? You talked about it with your last child being born in Brazil and the process of that, which was ironic because Justin had the question, but I was like, well, you kind of answered it without asking, but um, uh, we kind of feel that's probably a show on its own, but have you ever done a show like that? Or are you, do you think that you'd we be able to do one? We wrote quite a few articles about it. So on our blog on expatmoney.com, we've wrote a couple of articles about it and it's, um, it is a very interesting topic. I think it's first important to understand the different ways that you can get citizenship. So the, the birthright, like basically being born there, is pretty much a North American, Caribbean, Latin American type of phenomenon. It's not a European thing. It's not an Asian thing. They do more of the blood. So if your parents or your grandparents are born there, 
then you can get citizenship through that way. So if you think like, oh, uh, your family's from Ireland or your family's from Poland or Italy or Latvia or Lithuania or these types of countries and Europe, then you could apply for citizenship based on your ancestry. This kind of goes the other way. If the if your child is born in any of, not any, there's a couple of exceptions, but the majority of the America countries, the child is automatically a citizen from there. And with a couple of countries, there's actually benefits to the parent and in some cases, even the grandparent to be able to get residency in a fast track to citizenship. So we talked about Brazil. Mexico was the other uh, one on the top of the list with Mexico, which is very interesting. So say if if uh, if you went and had a child in Mexico tomorrow, your parents could get residency in Mexico and even your grandparents um, could get uh, could get residency there as well. So it's uh, it's a way to to be able to get your ties into another country. Um, by being strategic about these types of things. And once you have citizenship, that's it. They're not taking it away from you. You can't lose it. It's, uh, yeah, it's very, very strong. So kind of the short answer is no, I have not done an entire episode about it. But once you understand the concepts, you you really understand it doesn't really matter too much about the country itself. It mm-hmm. just matters the the programs that they follow. And okay. there's some, some general rules. Europe does it one way. The Americas do it another way. Asia does it a different way, et cetera, et cetera. And that's where they can hire you to be like, where should I go have this child? <laughs> I have a client who is in, do you want to hear a funny story? Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, I, as I said, we went to Brazil, we went to Florianopolis. I have a private client who is like, okay, me and my wife, we want to have another baby and we want to do what you do, uh, what you did. So we looked at it. We looked at a couple different countries, Costa Rica and Panama and Mexico, and they decided on Brazil. So, okay, perfect. So I introduced them to the doctor that we used. And then they're like, well, where did you stay? What area? And we're like, okay, well, we were in Sacos dos Limones. It's this, this neighborhood right by the major city. So I'm on a video call with him yesterday morning and his background is the same as my background for the <laughs> for the six months that I was living there on the video call he found the exact apartment that I had wow. lived in when I was in Brazil <laughs> and stayed in the same place and so and so I'm messaging back and forth with the owner of the place and she's laughing because now another person has come to do birth tourism and is staying in her Airbnb going to the same hospital, the same doctor, everything like that. And his wife just gave birth on Easter Sunday to a brand new healthy baby girl. So amazing. amazing. Wow, that's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) It's so cool. That's pretty exciting. Um, um, Sorry, uh, do you mind if I ask something else? Go ahead, Terry, Um, go on. About citizenship. Because I know that if you... Um, we looked into becoming Spanish citizens, but if we did that, we'd have to give up our British citizenship. We'd have to get our, our British passport specifically. Does that apply in, in many countries? So I only work in countries that allow dual nationality. What I'm always trying to do is do a plus one. I am never trying to do a straight swap. So all of the countries that I work yeah. in or I help people with, whether that be birth tourism, like we've been discussing today, or naturalization, or ancestry, or citizenship by investment, basically making a donation and getting a passport in return, 
all the countries I work in allow dual nationality. And dual is kind of a misnomer because dual doesn't actually mean two. Dual in this context just means more than one. So a dual national can actually have four different citizenships or five different citizenships. It doesn't really matter. You know, there's no cap on these types of things. As long as you are following the laws and the regulations of the countries that you are participating in, there's no cap. You can have as many as you want. But uh, I don't do like a swap one for the other type of thing. That's much better, isn't it? Yeah, I, makes I'm, sense. I'm treating you now like Jason Bourne with a suitcase full of passports. <laughs> <laughs> Too funny. Um, okay, so there's a lot of people out there that may not necessarily be right now like work from home or even have like a specific trade where they can. So he also, um, which by the way, he said this is out of all of our episodes that we've recorded, which has been like over 40, I think, or more actually, um, actually around 60 or 80. Uh, he's like, this is the most excited that he is. And he was so double booked today. He didn't get a chance to hop on, but he really wanted to. So I want to make sure that I get his stuff answered. But um, so he wanted to know what was the most advantageous skill or trade to learn in order to be able to make an online income for non-technical people. But even though he he prefaces that he's a retard, but he's actually extremely smart and very technically advanced. <laughs> but he does do an outside uh, job right now um, that is not like a home-based job. So, yeah. Okay, so the question is a, a skill that you can develop that will help you in the ability to earn an online location independent income, correct? Yeah. Okay, a skill, a skill. Well, um, and the other, the other thing, um, sorry to interrupt you, that I wanted to add to that is, or what recommendations do you have for people that are like, I have an American-based job or an X-based job, so what can we do to kind of help me get out of that so that I can get out of here and, you know, prison planet and move on to something in another cool. place. Okay. So this would be my suggestion. I think that the, the majority of the jobs, 99.99% of jobs that are out there in the world, you can take them online. You just have to be creative with these types of things. You can say, Oh, but I have a brick and mortar business. I'm a, I'm a doctor, I'm a dentist, I'm a lawyer. I have to see my clients. I have to be there physically. Well, there's telemedicine, there's remote legal work. Uh, you could set up a type of business where, you know, someone has a toothache at four o'clock in the morning and they don't know what to do. You could consult with them via Zoom and you could help them. You could help book for them a dentist first thing in the morning. If they're traveling and they don't speak the language, you could translate for them. There's like a million and one things that you could do for even jobs that we would think of that you can't do remotely to make them remotely. You could work in a field where you teach other professionals the same job that you have. You could take your job remote and then teach people, other people in that field how to take their job remote. Um, you could build courses about it. You could have membership sites about it. Um, there's like a million and one type of online type of things that you could do. Now, if you have a special type of skill set, instead of working for one type of company, another option is just to be a freelancer on this. So if you guys go to like upwork.com or fiverr.com or these types of things and look for gigs, you know, you get little clients who need a task done or they need 10 hours a week done for this project or um, little supplementary things start with that first 
get a little bit of side hustle going on for something that you already know how to do. Whatever your main career is, whatever your main skill set are, then, then try to transfer that online and see what people will pay for it. The nice thing is that once you can supplement your, your regular income and you actually do move overseas, you will find that the cost of living is probably half of what it was back home. And then when you remove taxation from the equation, then it really becomes a lot more attractive. And um, you might end up not needing as much money also as you think, because there's no like, how to describe, there's no like keeping up with the Joneses and stuff in a lot of other countries. So you never feel like a pressure to consume or buy new things or have the nicest clothes or a new car or live in a certain neighborhood. Like you can just kind of live your life. And, you know, if you make, I don't know, if you're a single person and you make $1,500 a month, $2,000 a month, you probably have a nice normal life in many, many, many countries in the world. And if you are already making good income and you're making 10 grand a month or 15 grand a month, I mean, you're going to live in the upper echelons of society. You're going to be able to do anything and everything that you ever wanted. You can take monthly trips. You can, you can do anything on what would be a, a nice income back home, but certainly not the top of the top of the top, you know? So in relative terms, you can have a much higher quality of life for the same amount of money. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yes, it does. Yeah. Cool. Which is, uh, which would be exciting. And I can't wait to be able to leave and go. Um, <laughs> this country I've talked about it all the time. Like, I just can't wait to get out of the United can States. I just add, that's, can I just add, that's our experience here. Uh, and it goes a lot further. And the Canary Islands has a special taxation status in the EU. It's not inside the, what they call the VAT zone, which is the sort of Europe-wide tax they put on sales. So things are a lot cheaper here. And you're quite right. You can you can live a lot better and a lot cheaper. You know, because, you know, and also, you know, you've got the sunshine all the time. It's um, so the Canary and the Canary Islanders actually have a special thing. You probably know about this yourself. They have a special type of visa that they're trying to encourage teleworkers to come here. I don't know what mm -hmm. it's called, but I've, I've seen another country offering that as well. Colombia is just offering that. Yeah, Colombia. That's it. Yeah. yeah. So, Amazing. so tell tell us a little bit about um, like your business, um, your podcast, because that's how you know. Obviously, Justin and I learned about you was through your podcast, and uh, you do some free seminars and different things like that. So, why don't you share? Because we have about ten minutes left, so share a little bit of information about that, and um, yeah, and like what people would reach out to you for, and so forth. Cool. So uh, my main business is I work as a consultant. So I work with high net worth individuals and their families. We do their tax planning, their immigration, their legal work, all of the, the, the esoteric piece of moving overseas. I'm not the guy to contact to put your stuff in a shipping container and send it somewhere or turn on your electricity in a foreign country. Like I don't do that piece of it. I only do you know, the, the legal and the immigration, the tax work. Now, as I alluded to at the beginning of the conversation, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not an accountant myself. I have full-time lawyers who work for me. I have a staff of about 18 uh, members. So we 
you know, I outsource a lot of the legal work or I create a lot of the programs and plans and things like that. And then I have lawyers sign off on it, either lawyers that work for me or lawyers that I joint venture with in like as local representation in the different countries. I focus specifically on the tax-free countries or the countries who have very little taxation. I'm not, once again, the guy to move you to Germany with 60% tax or Finland or something like this, you know, like I don't want anything to do with that. I, I'm the one who will help put you in more tax advantage situations, stronger wealth protection, uh, asset protection, these types of things. So that's what I do. So um, at expatmoney.com, up in the top right-hand corner, there's a big orange button that says work with us. Uh, if you go on there, there's a very long form letter. Don't read it on your phone. Uh, it will take you probably about 20 minutes to read it. So you know, pour a cup of coffee, pour a cup of tea, sit down at your laptop or your desktop, pull it up, focus, don't get distracted, read it from start to finish. It describes my work, what I do, the things that I help with. At the bottom is an application form. Uh, if you think that it's gonna be a good fit, then you can fill out the application form. We'll take, I'll read the application. If I agree it's a good fit, we'll take a call. We'll kind of look at things, what can be done, and then um, looking at engaging my services. So um, that is for the clients. That is my business, is the, is the consulting firm. On top of that, I do a daily email newsletter that you can subscribe at expatmoney.com. We do three, four times a week blog articles. We do a weekly podcast called The Expat Money Show. We do monthly webinars. We do quarterly trips and we do annual summits and conferences. So we have a lot of stuff on the go, uh, the majority of which is completely free. I give away 99% of everything for free. I only charge for the consulting work, which is the one-on-one -on -one stuff. And that's really the, the hand-holding and the um, taking people through this, you know, based on their exact needs. But everything else, so even if you're not a high net worth individual, you're listening to this conversation going, ah, I can't afford these types of things. There's probably something for you on the website, which will help you get a lot more freedom in your life. And as I mentioned earlier, it's my work is not about complaining or talking about the theory or, you know, even discussing what's going on in the world. It's only solutions. It is a giant platform of solutions. That's all I focus on. <laughs> so uh, expatmoney.com, you'll find a lot of stuff there. And expat money show is the podcast. You find it on any podcasting app. You know, when I first started listening to your show, I had no idea that you're a libertarian. I just, uh, my first thought was like, this guy's like really got it down to travel cheaply <laughs> throughout the, throughout the world. And he really knows like the ins and outs. I need to listen to this podcast. And, um, I shared it with my friend who, um, when she was finishing up college, she backpacked, um, through Spain and stuff like that. And through, through some Latin American countries <clears throat> and, uh, she was able to just travel and do everything so inexpensively. I just think that's like, just so fascinating. And, uh, and it wasn't until like you had someone where I was like, oh, he kind of sounds libertarian. <laughs> and so <laughs> I was like, that's even more interesting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, libertarianism is a giant blanket term, you know, that we kind of use for, for anybody. I mean, I'm, I would think like more, like I'm, I'm very libertarian, but I probably go a little bit further, you know, an ANCAP or an agorist. Like I'm, I am actively working against what's going on in the world and trying to find parallel uh, opportunities for people. We always stay within the confines of the law, but 
within those confines, there's a lot of room to, to navigate these types of things. And, uh, yeah, it's, um, I am, I am definitely a, a outspoken freedom minded individual and have been from a very young age. And, uh, you know, because of my experience with public education, I do a lot of work in the homeschooling communities and a lot of, uh, world schooling and unschooling type of thing. So, you know, the deprogramming. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you understand. Yeah. yeah. You're fighting the good fight. It's amazing. I love I, it when people are homeschooling so awesome. their kids. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. I consider it. I'm doing the Lord's work. I mean, yes. I'm like yeah, literally yeah. every day. I know this sounds super cliche, but every day guys, I jump out of bed. I am so excited to do my work. I mean, I'm helping to starve the beast. I'm helping people get their kids out of public education. I'm relocating them to freer countries, little enclaves around the world. I'm, I mean, that is my work. I'm, I love it. It's amazing. Yeah. I, I think right. so. I oh. feel it. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. He's the real RP, not like the lady that we talked about last night. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. It's, uh, yeah, I, I, I could talk to you all day. It's really fascinating stuff. And it is awesome work you're doing. You are doing the Lord's work. Good on <laughs> you. So, Amazing. Okay. Thank you so much. Yep. And so I know we just have a couple minutes left, but I just wanted to say thank you so much for agreeing to come on. We really appreciate it. We definitely could have had you for like another half hour <laughs> and there's so many other questions I wanted to ask, but um, I'm just glad that everybody got a chance to ask something and um, we look forward to your next episode. The uh, uh, expat um I want to say expat money show, but that's your website, right? No, no, that's the, that's the podcast. That's the, so the podcast, podcast is okay. expat money show. And the website is expatmoney.com. Expat uh, money, which you had to pay a lot of money to get. And it took you years to obtain that. You are good memory. Yeah. You're definitely on the email. newsletter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had to, uh, I do have expatmoneyshow.com, which is the podcast website, but I've eventually after six years or seven years of fighting with someone, I was able to get expatmoney.com and I am now the proud owner of, uh, of that domain, which definitely is a lot of work and a lot of money, but uh, I'm very thrilled to have it. And, and I think it's important to, to have a good domain and uh, know where people can find you. Exactly. So, all right, Mikkel, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. And um, we look forward to your next episode. Amazing. Thanks so much for the opportunity. Thank you so really much for your time. Thank I you. really appreciate your time. Thanks thank a lot, so Mikkel. Wonderful. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of Union of the Unknowns. You can find new episodes every week on all your favorite podcasting networks. 